What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Planeswalkers Anonymous, the magic podcast all about adventuring parties. And if you or anyone in your life shares our obsession with Yoan, Stang, Ragnar, and Gwendolyn DeCorsi, we are here for you. We won't rehabilitate you, but we will have a lot of fun. I'm Duncan, looking around the tavern for someone to join me on my quest. So, Duncan, what do you think? I am not joining your party. What? Why? <laughs> it doesn't feel safe, you know? It doesn't feel safe? You don't... Not, no. not the adventuring type? Uh, not adventuring with you, no. Ouch. Burn. You know, think about, like, things that have happened to me in life. Like, I've had a grenade thrown at me. I've had my finger broken. Like, who caused those things? I feel like a cherry picking. <laughs> <laughs> I thought maybe you had a problem with my other legendary party members. No, no, I just don't feel safe going on an adventure with you. Might set my hair on fire or something, you know? It only happened three times, Donovan. <laughs> well, I'm not looking for a fourth. Fine. I guess if we're not going to have our own adventure, should we uh, talk about some of the adventures Magic players were having over the last week? Yeah, sure. There was some cool stuff going on. I did not watch any of the SCG Tour online because there was other tournaments going on, but it seems to have happened anyways, whether I was watching it or not. The championship qualifier number five. Yeah, I think we mentioned this last week because it was happening while we were actually recording, but I think I called it the SEG championship. Yeah. Which really, it was a- another qualifier. I, was, I keep getting confused. Like, I realize this isn't complicated, but since I don't follow it, the fact that all of the small events are qualifiers for this event. I hate forgetting that this event is a qualifier. It's just one that you have to be qualified to participate. Yeah. But yeah, it was championship qualifier number five. It was won by David Inglis playing Jun Sacrifice, right? Yeah, I think it's kind of funny if you watch those events and you watch the coverage for it and stuff. David Inglis comes up in the players to watch stuff and things like that. And they always say, you might better know him as Tangrams. And I'm like, I have literally never seen his name as Tangrams anywhere. (laughs) But they say that all the time. I think it's because, like, that's his MTGO handle. Yeah. Does he do a lot of streaming or something? I don't know. I've never seen him streaming. But (laughs) I just think that's funny is because, like, I've seen him in the SEG standings for, like, at least the last year. I'm sure longer than that. And they always talk about how you might better know him as Tangrams. And I'm like, I've never seen him as Tangrams. Well, if you look at our tournament results link that we have in our show notes from MTGA Zone, they only have his name as Tangrams. And so I was lucky <laughs> that you were able to tell me who that is. But we did mention that one last week. Uh, I think the really big one from this week that we hadn't already talked about is the 2020 Mythic Invitational was going on, right? Yeah, that was cool. It started on Thursday and they had people playing Magic Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So I was really yeah. excited to have a weekend of watching really high-level Magic play. I mean, I got it on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. (laughs) Yeah, apparently Sunday they had some trouble with their broadcasting, but what they decided to do is go ahead and play their games on Sunday, and they just recorded it and put it up today, on the Monday. Yeah, and they just posted it this morning at 5 in the morning (laughs) Yeah, on their Twitch stream for people to watch. So the the event was finally taken down after all that work by uh, Seth Manfield on Sultai mid-range yep faced off against gabe nasif in the finals right yeah i was like oh it's gabe nasif playing in a 
Like that'll be cool. I, I'm I look forward to being able to announce Gabe Masif as the victor. And I know it's Seth Manfield. What Check I think is really funny is Seth Manfield. He had a real he had a lot of work to get through that tournament. Yeah. He lost I think he lost two on day one. Oh. And then he lost another two on day two, and so he only barely scraped into the top eight on tiebreakers. Yeah. And then the round one of the top eight, he matched against one of the people that beat him in the Swiss, and that person beat him again. And he had to drop down uh, like immediately into the lower bracket where you have to play as he had to play as many rounds as he possibly could to get through that. And the finals person in the lower bracket was the person who beat him in the Swiss and in the top eight already. And he had to play that guy again. Wow. Was, uh, Luis Salvato, for anyone who's wondering. Luis Salvato on Rakdos Arcanist beat Seth Manfield two times. And then the third time was the charm for Manfield. Luis Salvato really must feel like he got kind of... I mean, like, he played against Nassif in the finals of the, the upper bracket and lost to Nassif, and that's how he got put in the lower bracket. So it's like, you know, he may have played against Nassif again and lost. So I bet he doesn't feel like if I just won against Manfield game one in our match, then I would have won this tournament. Yeah, no, I get that. I just mean that this person has beat this person. Like, I am the better player. And then just because tournament structure, they get to it again, but, oh, we got to play again. I beat them again, confirming I am the better player. And because of tournament structure, you play him again, and oh, I lost to him that time. And then they went on to win the tournament. It's like, but yeah. And funnily enough, like Luis Salvato had the least number of match losses of the people in the entire tournament. Really? Yeah, I think he ties with Nasif. I think those two tie for least number of match losses. But huh. like, they even have less than people that didn't make top eight on tiebreakers and didn't play anymore. They have less match yeah. losses than those people. <laughs> wow, that's kind of funny. Like, both of them yeah. only lost three matches over the entire course of the tournament. I don't know. I'm not saying that there's <laughs> anything wrong with the tournament structure that you get results like that. But it, it is awkward. And that's one of the things that, like, you know, this event doesn't just give money to the person who gets first place or whatever. You know, like, there right. is rewards for all the other places. And I'm yeah. sure with as high as Luis Salvato got, he's not getting any kind of insubstantial reward, you know? Sure. He made it to the finals of the lower brackets of the top eight of the like four day long tournament invitational magic tournament with all the highest level pros and stuff competing, right? Yeah. And it's just like they're all very good magic players. And when you're that oh, good yeah, definitely. and you're playing with those good a deck, sometimes it kind of is a coin flip who wins. Sure. It's not down to chance. It's down to skill. It's just their skill is so even that it, it's back to being down to chance, you know? <laughs> right. But uh, we had one more event going on this weekend, right? Yeah, and this was this saved me because Sunday I was all excited to watch the finals of the Invitational. Mm -hmm. I was really kind of disappointed that they showed so few matches on Saturday because on Saturday they just did the non-elimination matches of the top eight. Yeah. And that's only like four rounds. So I was like all excited on Sunday to come back and watch it. And they had told us that they were going to start posting the coverage at 9 a.m. Sunday. And I was just like, is that Seattle time? Like what? time zone is that you know yeah and so on sunday i was starting at 9 a.m i started checking i'm like all right is that up yet are they posting stuff yeah. and then you know at nine i checked and then i got ready for work and at 10 o'clock i checked again i was like oh no and so i left for work and then i got to work at 11 and i'm like all right it's 11 o'clock here so if it's seattle time that that's that's 9 a.m this is when i really expected it to be you know so from yeah. then i like started just like refreshing wizards broadcast thing like every five minutes and like 11 30 i'm like what what's going on you know so, like, I went and I, I don't know, like, third or fourth time I refreshed the page and there still wasn't even anything up. 
I went and looked at Wizards Magic.gg and they had a thing on there saying, hey, we're experiencing technical difficulties. Broadcast should be up at 12 p.m. Pacific time. I was like, oh, cool, cool, cool. And so like, I was like, oh, I'll just watch something else for now. And like, I went and I saw the NRG series was on. I was like, cool, I'll watch this for, for now. And it was Legacy yeah. and I like watching some Legacy. And then at two o'clock, I pull back up Magic and it's like, it's, there's nothing here. <laughs> and so I went back to Magic.gg and they're like, yeah, hey, we're just, we're not going to be able to broadcast this today. <laughs> I was like, dang it. Yeah, that's unfortunate. But you ended up watching the NRG series. Yeah, and I watched that, and that was a lot of fun to watch. There were some really cool decks on display. So they were playing Legacy, right? Yeah, they were playing Legacy, and there was a bunch of different variety of Delver decks being played. There was a bunch of sneak attack decks. There was two different decks that the person just lied to the NTG Melee about what their deck was and said it was (laughs) Belcher when it wasn't. That was intentional, or I think they thought they were funny. Oh, okay. <laughs> they were try. I, I think they knew that since their opponent could see their deck list, it wasn't really going to trick anyone. Yeah, because like your actual list gets sent to your opponent when you're doing MTG melee tournaments. So it's like the person's gonna be able to see your list. They're gonna know you're not playing Belcher. So it's not like they're trying to trick anybody into keeping hands that were only good against Belcher. Yeah. But I thought that was kind of funny because the people doing coverage hadn't checked their deck list. And so they, there was multiple times during the coverage where they were like, oh, and there's a Belcher deck that's 2-0. Let's go see. Let's see what their list looks like. And they're like, oh, this this isn't Belcher. <laughs> but uh, the finals ended up being uh, Will Kruger on Teamer Delver versus Greg Dyer on Mono Blue Prison. And Delver got there in the end, but that Mono Blue Prison deck was pretty sweet. Yeah. Legacy is so much more fun to watch than any other. You think so? Just because of, like, the yeah. deck variety, or... Because the deck variety, and there's more decks that do cool stuff. Like, and yeah. I realize, because they have such a huge expanse of cards to pull from to be able to come up with, like, oh, here's a cool thing I can do, because of all the cards that are available, right? But yeah. it is just, like, there's way more decks that just are... Like, there were, like, cool three decks deck. that, if you took those three decks, that's what most of the people in the event were playing. Delver, Depth, and... I was going to say Snowco, but really, it doesn't really look like there are that many Snowco decks. It looks like they were just did very well. Um, looks like there's actually probably more sneak attack decks. But anyways, Delver and Depths make up most of the tournament. But there are plenty of other good decks, and the top eight only had two Delver decks and one Depths deck. When I was watching the stream, there's quite a bit of Snowco on stream. But it's just because like third and fourth of this event was the two Snowco players in the tournament. So, like, they did well all day long, so they kept being on coverage. Yeah. So, like, that's fine, you know? <laughs> that was a lot of fun to watch that event, and uh, good on Will Kruger for taking down that event with his Delver deck, right? Yeah, definitely. I always love me a Dreadhorde Arcanist deck, and Delver and Arcanist are kind of a pair in Legacy these days. Yeah, makes sense. So that's what was going on in the organized events this week. Do you want to go ahead and talk about the news? Sure. Your daily newspaper. One of all of this first story, I think we kind of already mentioned. Yeah, we we <laughs> talked about how the uh, mythic invitational and it got interrupted, or at least their stream did. So yeah, we've been over that. It's just unfortunate. I I saw a lot of people complaining about like how this is such a big game or such a big company, and they couldn't manage this simple thing that people do from their homes. Yeah, but it's just like. I don't know what the actual issue was. Maybe they they had like yeah. a line down from their internet service, you know? Yeah, none of us know what the issue is. And also just like things like this happen. Yeah. Any streamer you like has had days when they didn't stream because of technical difficulties. I can't prove that, but I guarantee that. 
Yeah, like you maybe just didn't know because they just weren't streaming that day. You didn't yeah, have like, a big announcement about it. I pretty much only watch Magic streams, so like I was watching Wyatt Darby stream a few weeks back, and he was talking about how he hadn't streamed for a week because his house didn't have any electricity. You know? Yeah. <laughs> there was a big storm in his area, and it knocked out the electricity to his house, and he had no electricity for a week. Right. And or that like sucks. you know, your computer crashes, and you're frustrated. Like you were losing a game of Magic, and you started to win one, and then your computer crashes, and you just don't turn the stream back on. So like I'm done. You know. Like, yeah. stuff like that happens. And, like, Wizards is a big company, and they have lots of computers and probably lots of redundancy, but sometimes there is, like, single failure points or something just so catastrophic happens that they can't do anything about it. Yeah. It really sucked, especially for, like, some fanboys like me that were sitting there waiting for the stream to boot up, you know? <laughs> sure. But it's just, it was what happens, you know? Like Yeah, and, like, I'm not saying people shouldn't be disappointed or even irritated and upset, you know? I just... I don't know. I feel like if this happened a lot, then you complain. Yeah, like if this was Pokemon, this might be something worth noting. <laughs> or this kind of thing happens all the time. Yeah, but when it happens once, I don't think that's the point to start, you know, getting the pitchforks and being like, come on, Watsy, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with them? Things like this happen. It just happens. Sorry. Yeah, it, it was kind of annoying, but it's whatever. Yeah, I think similarly, one of our other news things is we just got some production delays coming up for the rest of this year, right? And that's kind of just been par for the course. Yeah, that's really what I feel like. I thought Watsy was announcing that they were going to have production delays for Zendikar Rising and stuff, mm -hmm. but this is this this year. You know, we've been plagued with well, we've been plagued with plague causing us to be plagued with delays on things like this so yeah and i am of a difference of opinion with watsi on this i think they should push back releases till they can provide the product yeah i wouldn't have a problem with them pushing stuff back like when they pushed back was it icoria was release date by like a month i was fine you know i was like okay this will hurt my business some because like one of the things i make money off of is selling singles and like that sucks but at least whenever Ikoria came out, we had Ikoria. And so I'm just sure. worried that the amount this is going to cut by will be a problem. I think it's not because I've seen the numbers on what they're giving us and it's like 40% of the product. And they said that the rest should be arriving like 10 days later. And 40% of the product usually will last us over a week. So like, I think that's probably fine, but it might be a problem for some stores that usually deal in higher volumes than we do, but it's, it's not a big deal. Yeah, I think what this means for players is that apparently all of the cards are supposed to come out and be available and on the same date as they were intended. The for Zendikar Rising is going to be September 25th. For retailers, though, they're not going to get as much of it as they normally would right off the bat. And they should get some more later on. Yeah, and then there's another delay for Commander Legends. And it's just the collector boosters are going to be... Two weeks late? It looks like the Commander Legends products are scheduled for November 6th, and the collector boosters for that particular product won't be available until November 20th. So, yeah, about two weeks. So it's like, yeah, the, the collector boosters for that set got are delayed by two weeks, but since they're already like a release date thing, and regular boxes are given out at like pre-release, they're already a thing that kind of comes later than the regular stuff, like that anyway, so it's I think that probably won't be too hurtful to people, that it's just a little bit more later. Okay. And then we've got a note in here about Jumpstart 
the second wave of Jumpstart should be coming out soon. But they don't really have any information on that. They just said soon. But I just got the second half of the first wave of Jumpstart in my store. So I oh, yeah. I have some Jumpstart right now. So if you want Jumpstart, head over to Boardwalk. And we have some Jumpstart packs. Yeah. But yeah, so I'm I'm excited that Jumpstart's going to be a little bit more available because that's something that's cool. Yeah. Overall, what this means to me is like, you know, had delays and stuff this year. So there's some more. That's not even surprising. Almost not worthy of comment. I think aside from that, we basically just got uh, some more information about stuff coming out in Zendikar, right? Yeah, they got the deck list for Commander. And, oh, I really meant to look into this. They gave us these lists. Yeah. And they spoiled three of the new cards out of it. But if you look at these lists that they did, they're pulling from the gatherer and the cards are sorted that way. If you look at the deck list, the cards are sorted by card type. And there's a section called Other that's got cards that aren't typed yet because they're not in Gatherer yet. Except for, like, Struggle to Survive is, but that's a lit card where one's an instant and one's a sorcery. So I understand that's got to be in the other section, you know? Yeah. But I was just like, are these other ones things from, like, Zendikar Rising and they're just not in Gatherer yet? I think Roiling Regrowth and Marasa's Root Gazer are in Zendikar Rising. Okay, so yeah, it looks like these other ones, they are just cards in Zendikar Rising. So if you're looking at these deck lists on Wizards' website, the ones that are other are either the three new cards from the deck, split cards struggle to survive, or they are just cards from Zendikar Rising. And they're just, that's why they're not in Gatherer yet, and they couldn't pull them with their card types. Yeah, I actually hadn't noticed that there was an other section, so I had no idea what you were talking about at first. So these deck lists, the Naya one is a landfall deck. They've got kind of like a token sub-theme, and that's kind of something I was, we'll get to later in the podcast, but I wanted to talk about, like, that's probably something I'm going to be building in Standard. That's not what we're at right now. We are talking about the Commander decks, and so like I was saying, the first one is a Naya landfall deck with the kind of token sub-theme, some plus one, plus one counter sub-themes going on, so you can go some different ways when you're deciding how you want to actually customize it yourself. Sure. Um, and then the blue-green deck, although it's called Sneak Attack, there is no copies of Sneak Attack in this deck, and I'm very upset about that. <laughs> I don't know why this isn't a Grixis Rogues deck where you can put in Sneak Attack at least, like, even if they don't put the card in there. Just give us a Grixis Rogues deck. But I think they just wanted to keep the colors even, and the other one's Naya, so they did blue-black as the other one. They didn't put Grixis. <laughs> it's, it's a Rogues deck. They've got a bunch of like Prowl cards and stuff like that in here. That's pretty cool. Um, even one of the new cards is a Prowl card. So yeah, this, they, they both look like they'd be a good amount of fun to play with. And I don't know that there's any cards in them that I'm just like, oh man, I really need to buy this deck to get that card. But there's certainly some good hits. Yeah. Yeah, I think that these look like cool decks for the market that they're intended to serve, right? Like, yeah. The market that tends to buy them, I don't know. Like I'm not good at judging whether or not there's enough stuff in here for enfranchised commander players to buy the deck and break it up. Oh, I think there is. But that tends to be the case. Mm-hmm. My point, like, the people that these are intended for, like, the new commander player who just, like, wants to get something so they have a deck, and then they can start making changes to it if they want to. Yeah. I think these look like cool decks for that. If you're yep. just new and want a commander deck, these look like fun places to start with. Yeah. But I think that's Pretty much all of the like really newsworthy stuff we've got for this week, right? Yeah. Got some cool events going on and then uh yeah, some actual news, but nothing particularly exciting aside from the fact that Zendikar Rising's coming out and we've got preview cards and stuff like that. But we'll get more into the Zendikar Rising after the break. Oh, yeah. One more thing newsworthy that I think people who 
are paying attention to magic will definitely know a lot, but in, anyone that's a little bit more casual that listens to us to keep up to date on things may want to know. Mm-hmm. I believe Zendikar Rising should be available on Arena and MTGO the day this podcast goes up. Oh, wow. Oh, you know what? That actually makes sense. I hadn't thought about... Because it's pre-release weekend like... this weekend, and they generally put it up on the Thursday of pre-release weekend. So yeah, that's yeah. something people may want to know. I don't really have much to expound on that, but when this podcast goes up, I'm going to be screwing with some of these Zendikar Rising cards, so... Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. I'm glad you mentioned that, because I hadn't realized that this was pre-release weekend this week. I just hadn't thought about the dates. Yep. So yeah, I guess it's a good time for us to be talking about all the cool cards and stuff from the set, right? Yeah, and we're going to be talking about some of the ones that are exciting to us, some stuff that's going to be good and limited, and some stuff that you really want to look out for when you're drafting. So Yeah, so we'll get to all that after the break, but before we do... Donovan, I think that you had some advice for how we get rich with our magic card collection. They didn't even need any money. They had magic cards. Yeah, I did this time around. I wanted to say buy mill cards. Classic cards that you think are good in mill, like Archive Trap and Hedron Crab and stuff. Yeah. People, there's about to be a big rush on those. I don't think mill is going to necessarily be good in modern and pioneer and legacy and stuff like that but there's enough actually good mill cards in this set that i know for a fact people are gonna try sure and so those cards are about to be bought up yeah i think that if you want them to play with definitely get them now if you want to invest in them i think it's probably a good shot to see if any of those you can find any cheap copies of those floating around the internet somewhere stuff like hedron crab archive trap maybe traumatize fraying sanity Stuff like that that is good repetitive mill that can cascade on stuff. Mind funeral, things like that. I think grind and mind grind. Those like cards that people have played in mill before that are like almost good enough to make this work. I think people are about to start trying to be looking for those real soon because basically, as far as mill is concerned, there's just another hedron crab in this set. Yeah, they made ruin crab. And it's a one mana O3, and it can only mill your opponent. So that's why I don't think that it's going to make Crabvine decks that play Hedron Crab already better, because this one can't mill yourself. It only mills your opponent for three cards. But if you're using it on your opponent, it is just as good as a Hedron Crab. Sure. And actually, it's, I guess, better because it doesn't target, right? It's just each opponent mills three. It's going to be better in mill decks in Commander because it does each of your opponents and stuff like that. So I just think that this little Ruin Crab guy is going to really push people to play a little bit more of those mill decks. And then there's also just other cards in the set that interact with your opponent having a bunch of cards in their graveyard that's going to make mill decks a little bit better. Kind of like Drown in the Lock, kind of let people upgrade their mill decks by having this two-mana spell that pretty much countered anything or killed any creature because of what the rest of their deck was doing. Yeah. So there's some other cards that interact with your opponent having eight or more cards in their graveyard that are also going to upgrade mill decks. Right. Yeah, I think that whether or not mill is good and whether or not this changes how good mill is in any format the fact that there's a whole bunch of decent or at least apparently decent mill cards being printed means that people are going to be experimenting yeah people are going to be building modern and pioneer mill decks yeah and there's like turn out to be bad like they'll buy those cards and that will affect the price like there's a new version of traumatize in this set that like it only traumatizes your opponent if you kick it yeah but then it's got a lower casting cost effect as well, you know? Right. So it's just, uh, I, I think that 
people are going to give Mill another go. And if you like Mill, you should definitely get your cards now. If you just agree with me about this, you maybe can spec on if you can find some of these Mill cards at a good rate somewhere already. Yeah, you like flip your archive traps. Mm-hmm. Cool. I think that that's good advice. Hadn't considered the financial aspect of that, but I had definitely noticed the mill cards in the set and thought about, like, ooh, there's going to be some interesting mill Yeah, Yeah, mill is one of those decks that, whether it's good or not, people enjoy it, and they enjoy trying, mm-hmm. and so it's always popular. So anytime there's right. stuff like this, I think that it's probably going to uh, have a little bit of resurgence. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, seems good. Uh, Don, do you want to take a quick break and then come back and talk some more about the actual specific cards and stuff that are in Zendikar Rising? Yeah, let's let's do it. Hey there, podcast fans. After this episode, you may be looking for your next great listen. And if you want a new podcast that keeps you on the edge of your seat, try The Trials, Amonkent's premier true crime podcast. Hosted by the Planeswalker Gideon, The Trials takes you inside the courtroom for a closer look at recent cases and the most exciting developments in criminal justice. Join Gideon for a series of interviews with trappers convicted of poaching cuckoos in the River District. Follow the courtroom drama as we get to the bottom of counterfeit cartouches being imported across the plains. And could it be there's a shadowy mastermind behind many Bombacat's high-profile cases? Find out more by listening to The Trials. Look for Episode 1, Trial of Ambition, wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, cool. I'm pretty sure that you can get The Trials from the Multiverse Podcast Project. Did they pick them up already? Yeah. Yeah, okay. that's, a, that's the same network that Jace does his podcast on. So Gideon and Jace are good friends, so they probably hooked yeah. each other up one Got or the other. Got some connections there. Yep. Just out of curiosity, do you think his new podcast is going to have people start referring to him as Gideon of the Trials? I think people start calling him that? Yeah, I think that's probably what he'll be known as, right? Yeah. Amonkhet is a cool place, but this week we are checking out Zendikar, right? Yep, yep, yep. Because this weekend we're all going to be playing Zendikar Rising at our pre-release events. Yeah, and I think we're going to start off talking about some of the cards that you may want to look out for, or themes you might want to look out for when you're doing your drafting and sealed deck building and stuff. Yeah, definitely, because they've placed a lot of significance on the four creature types that you need to build an adventuring party yeah. in this set. And like that makes sense, given that that's one of the mechanics going on in the set, but that also means that there's these tribal mechanics in and of themselves, right? Yeah. So you can build a cleric deck or a warrior deck. Kind of interestingly, they did a tribal mechanic where the tribe does a thing together, but not just something boring like rogues get plus one, plus one. Yeah. The cleric cards like all have like this life gain theme where it's like anytime you gain life, they do a thing or they get some kind of benefit from it and stuff like that. So, like, if you get a bunch of them, they work together the same way, but you don't have to have other clerics for the cleric cards to be good. You just have to have cards that gain you life. Yeah, so, like, the cleric theme isn't when you play a cleric, you gain a life. It's just whenever you gain a life, do a thing. Yeah. And so you get multiple things if you have more clerics, but each one works on its own. Yep, and so I think that's really cool, and it's these classes and stuff aren't, restricted to any colors they're heavier in specific colors to make limited deck building work better you know right. but there's clerics in i think 
like every color but red. And so like if as long as your deck isn't mono red, you can have a full adventuring party. And if it is mono red, you can grab that trusty pack beast to get you a, a cleric in your mono red deck. Stonework pack beast. That's the name of the card. Yeah, that's the uh, it's like colorless, and is it like all of the types? Yeah, it's a the prismite in the previous sets. It's a two mana two one that you can pay two mana to get a mana of any color to filter your mana. It's like serving that role, but also in addition to that, it's each of the different party types, so it can also fill whatever part of your party you're missing. Right. You want to handle some rogue talk? Yeah, rogues seem to be primarily in black and blue. My expectation is there are no white rogues. What do you think? No white rogues? Yeah. That is accurate. There Boom. are no white rogues. But again, you've got your stonework pack beast. Yep, play mono white and you're trying to fill out your party. Right. And the rogues just care about having cards in your graveyard. Your opponent's graveyard. Uh, I think, yeah, in your opponent's graveyard. Yeah. Many of them have this particular phrase, like, if there are eight or more cards in your opponent's graveyard, they'll interact with that. But also, a lot of them just will mill cards into your opponent's graveyard. Or they'll do something with a card from your opponent's graveyard, so that card is better if there's a card there, right? Yeah, it was like getting extra power equal to the number of cards in your opponent's graveyard. And then there's like, I think, ah, yeah, like the blue-black rare creature is a rogue guy, and when he deals combat damage to a player, you can put a permanent from their graveyard into play under your control. I think milling is popular like we mentioned earlier in the finance section like milling is popular even if it's not good and so interacting with milling and making milling valuable as a incidental thing will be fun for people because frequently when it comes to mills like unless you mill the last card out of your opponent's graveyard none of your milling mattered you know yeah but these cards all take advantage of it so yeah, what do uh, warriors care about? That's our other party member. Warriors are caring about equipment, and warriors don't exist in blue in this set. Rough city. Not super surprising. The blue mages have never been particularly warlike. And so, like, the warriors don't have any kind of mechanic that they all do, but they all, in some way, are going to be benefited by equipment. And, like, that's true of most creatures. But, I mean, like, there's... <laughs> ones that have double strike and so like if you buff their power that's better than if you buff non-double striking creatures or there's one that nahiri makes a warrior token that when it comes into play you can attach an equipment to it and like akiri fearless voyager is a red white legendary creature that says that you can pay a white to unattach an equipment from a creature you control and if you do tap that creature and gains indestructible Mm -hmm. so like if your creatures are equipped you can save them from combat or removal spells by paying mana that card doesn't actually do anything to the equipment, but it, that doesn't do anything if you don't have equipment. Sure. So that's that's the kind of thing they're going for. I think there's another guy that lets you like attach equipment. Oh, there's a spell that like lets you attach an equipment to a warrior you control at instant speed. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um. Then well, the last faction we've got left is wizards, right? Oh, you like wizards? I do like wizards because now we're at uh. A blue and red instead of blue and black, primarily. What do wizards not exist in? I'm going with green. Classically, green green wizards have been shamans, so I would be not surprised if there's not any green wizards. Oh, there's one. Oh, yep, the Draga Visionary is a wizard. there's several. Yeah? There's four. Oh, dang it. They got me. Are wizards in all the colors, then? They're not in black. There's no black wizards? There's no black wizards in this set. What is this noise? They're all clerics? Yeah. (laughs) I guess. All the magic users in black in the set are clerics. That appears to be the case. That's wild. I did not expect that. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. I guess it's a good thing I checked then. Yeah, they got me. 
But this one's going to come as a big surprise to people. The wizards care about instants and sorceries. And wizards. And wizards. They, <laughs> sure. They're the one that says, like, if you cast a wizard spell, do a thing. So Yep, or as long as you control another wizard. Yep. Uh, and, and that's fairly straightforward. Like, like I said, there's... As if you cast another wizard or whatever, you get bonus stuff or copy instants and sorceries or whatever. Yep. So that sort of thing. Oh, okay. Actually, there are only two green wizards. Oh, as two of the. Oh, ones there's that come two up. green cards though that say they are all of the types, right? There's the veteran adventurer and then the paragon or something paragon. Yeah, Tajuru paragon. Yeah. So I guess the I mean those still are wizards, right? It's just yeah. But their gimmick is that yeah, they're all they don't the things. Have creature type wizard printed. Yeah, yeah. Um. So that's wizards. Yep. Those are our creature types and themes that go along with them. Yeah. Um. Did you want to go over like the landfall and kicker and stuff? I was just gonna mention that the other like major themes that you'll see in a deck that you might want to build around are landfall. And uh, so surely, since green had all of the different creature type things mechanics going on, it sure it doesn't have landfall cards, right? There's no landfall cards uh, in green. I hate to burst your bubble, Donovan. I don't. I don't know how to break it to you. Um, green does have landfall. Cards. What? That's wild. Green does everything. So yeah, um, landfall. I think we covered last week what it is. It's ability word that triggers whenever yeah. a land comes into play. And as an ability word, there's not a whole lot more that's specific to it. Yeah. Uh, lots of different things that it can do, and they are always fun. I'm excited for landfall. I'm definitely building a landfall deck. And then we've got another mechanic that you can build around in your draft deck or whatever is going to be a kicker, right? Because there's not only cards with kicker, but there are cards that care about when you kick things. So, Oh, are yeah. there? What? There's a one blue enchantment that says whenever you kick a spell, you get a 2-2 drake token. And then it's also huh. got a kicker of like three that if you kick it, you it just enters and you make a 2-2 drake token. Yeah, that's kind of neat. I didn't even realize that. Like, I was going to say, like, Kicker is also a thing in the set that you'll see a lot, but, like, I don't know. If you... And there's, like, a Merfolk Falconer says whenever you cast a kicked spell, scry two. Okay. So there's some stuff that just, like, gives you some incentive to play a bunch of kickers. Yep. Cool. But what it is is that you have your spell, it has a mana cost, it has an effect, and then also it has a kicker cost. If you add that to the mana cost when you're casting a spell, you usually get some sort of bonus or amplification or additional effect. Yeah. There's a lot of cool kicker cards. They do lots of different things, and it's one of the things that's cool about them is it just allows you to design cool, powerful cards that you wouldn't normally get to play because it's just like that just costs too much or that's too much of a niche scenario, but make it also a cheaper card that does a smaller thing that you might do just because, oh yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. So those are like the mechanics to be on the lookout for. Be thinking like, ooh, do I want to build a wizard deck or do I want to build a landfall deck? Or maybe I want to build a warrior deck with some equipment. And like while you're thinking about those and you're opening up your packs, like there's certain uncommons you might look out for that'll like really help you make that deck work. And these are the sort of things that if you're playing sealed, you might want to just look through your uncommons and see which ones you have and see if you have a deck that will work with this. Or if you're playing draft. And you get past one of these, and you'd be like, oh, that deck is probably open. might be worth trying to draft something there. But it looks like we got, what, one for each color combination? Bottle? Yeah. And yeah, give you an idea of what that color combination is trying to do. First one we have here on our list is Cargan Warleader. He's yeah. a red and white and a one for a 3-3. Three, three. So three mana, 3-3, three, three, it's pretty good. And he says, other warriors you control get plus one, plus one. And it is a human warrior. Yeah. So it's just like, it's trying it to say, like, in red-white, there's probably going to be some more warrior themes than the other colors. 
And so it's three mana, three, three, and red, white also boosts your warriors. Sure. And then if instead of red, white, you happen to get past a soaring thought thief, that is a human rogue, one, three, for a black and a blue. It has flash, flying, and as long as an opponent has eight or more cards in their graveyard, rogues you control get plus one, plus oh. Whenever one or more rogues you control attack, each opponent mills two cards. So basically what this is telling you is if you want to draft blue-black, if you're feeling that, what blue-black is all about is rogues. And if you grab some mill cards along with your rogues, that'll help you out. Yeah, and like I think this card could go in a rogue deck or a mill deck. Because mill is actually pretty effective and limited sometimes. Oh, Even yeah. if you just put him in your mill deck, you know, he's a 1-3 that when he attacks, mills your opponent for two. So Right? And he has flash and flying, so it's really easy to... To get him in there to actually do stuff. Yep. Then we've got Black Green. We've got Moss Pit Skeleton, which is a kicker card. So it's it's a black and a green for a 2-2. And then it's got kicker for three generic. And says if it was kicked, it enters the battlefield with three plus one plus one counters on it. So you can have a two mana 2-2 or a five mana 5-5. And then whenever one or more plus one plus one counters are put on a creature you control, if Moss Pit Skeleton is in your graveyard, you may put Moss Pit Skeleton on top of your library. So it's just... Kind of black green is going to have a probably have more maybe kicker cards and then also interact with reclaiming cards from your graveyard or maybe some sacrifice mechanics where being able to guarantee you get another creature is good. Yeah, it looks to me like it's suggesting that your other black green cards are going to have plus one plus one counter. Yeah, it looks like that's mostly what it is. Theoretically, if you've used this guy and he's dead and you're playing black green, you'll have other stuff that puts plus one plus one counters on things, making it possible for you to get this dude back. Yeah, I think it's kind of unfortunate it doesn't go back to your hand. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a bit slow. Yeah, because it, does, it doesn't provide any card advantage. It just ensures that next turn you can draw a 2-2 two, two or a 5-5. Five, five. Yeah. But I guess I haven't looked that in-depth at the set. I guess it, there's also the benefits of those things that say whenever a creature has a plus one plus one counter on it, you control dies or enters the battlefield or like creature you control plus one plus one counters get this benefit. It does also trigger those things and benefit from them too. So I guess maybe they thought putting it in your hand was too powerful. Maybe Brushfire Elemental as uh, it's a elemental 1-1 one, one for a green and a red. It has haste. It can't be blocked by creatures with power two or less. And it has landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, Brushfire Elemental gets plus two, plus two, until end of turn. And so I think this is pretty much just says to you, hey, in green-red, there's a ton of landfall cards. Yep, and there's some other creatures that have similar bonuses, uh, one of which even made my list of cards that I was excited to play with. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that one's pretty straightforward. It's like if you're in red-green, you have lots of opportunity to do landfall and maybe grab some uh, things that will get you extra lands and stuff. And then black-white, we've got Clerics of Life's Bond, which is a black and a white for a 2-2 vampire cleric. It says whenever another cleric enters the battlefield under your control, you gain one life. And it says whenever you gain life for the first time each turn, put a plus one, plus one counter on Cleric of Life's Bond. And so this is kind of saying, like, black-white is going to be clerics and life gain mechanics, right? Yep. Pick up extra clerics. Yeah. And it's, I think this card is pretty cool. It's something I'm probably going to play with at some point because it's kind of a Soul Warden and a, a Johnny's Pride Mate combined into one card. And they balance that out by, like, it only gains life when a cleric comes into play under your control and only gets a counter the first time you gain life each turn. But it's a two-mana two-two that does yeah. both things. So... That is pretty cool. Yep, definitely. On the other hand, if you want to play blue-green, you got this cute little guy here. We got Lull Mage's Familiar. is a 2-4 beast for a blue, a green, and one. 
He taps for green or blue, and whenever you cast a kicked spell, you gain two life. Uh, this one is pretty clear, saying, hey, spells with kicker. Yep, and then he provides you extra mana to help you pay for those kicker costs. Yep, so I guess if you're in blue and green, then you want to watch out for spells with mm-hmm. kicker. And we've got green-white is a green and a white for a 2-3 with Vigilance. This is like one of the first ones that's like above rate stats, right? Yeah. It's got Vigilance and has tap. You may put a basic land card from your hand onto the battlefield or tap return target basic land card you control to its owner's hand. And I forgot to mention it's a beast. So irrelevant, but in case you care. <laughs> <laughs> so this one is just like green-white, the landfall colors. Red-green had landfall stuff. That was, I think, kind of targeting towards like being aggressive with it. Whereas green-white is mm-hmm. going to be more about like sustained landfall effects making sure you can continue to trigger these turn after turn sure yeah because it helps you get lands into play but also helps you continue playing lands once you've run out yep now i think that the first color pair that doesn't have a creature yeah the first one and more the way we've got them ordered here at least right yeah. alphabetical yeah i don't know what order nope they're not they're not in alphabetical order they're just all right lovely anyway first on our list that isn't a creature is ravager's mace for black and red it actually costs a red, a black, and one. It's an equipment. And it says when it enters the battlefield, attach it to a creature you control. And the equipped creature gets plus one, plus oh for each creature in your party and has menace. And its equip cost is red, black, and two. So this is basically just telling us that in red and black, you should focus on trying to build your party. That's the adventuring party mechanic in this set, which is <sighs> clunky. And I guess I need to explain it here. It's... The number of creatures in your party is between 1 and 4, regardless of how many creatures you have, up to 1 cleric, rogue, warrior, and wizard in your party. And if you have one of each of those creature types, then you have a party of 4. Alright. So I guess your black and red focuses on trying to build up that full party. And then just having cards that benefit from having more party members in your party? I would assume so, yeah. Well, black-red is about building up your party. So is blue-white. Yeah. That's a blue-white and 4 for an instant. That costs one less for each creature in your party. And then it says you gain three life and draw three cards. So yeah, I think blue-white might also have maybe the party mechanics just popular in all the colors that aren't green. <laughs> where green has all the cards that help you build your party. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of a bit I don't awkward. know. Maybe they just couldn't think of good signpost uncommons for these two colors. And so they just made party cards. I don't know. Maybe. White has some life gain cards and some draw spells, so this one is a draw spell that gains you life. But if you see an Umara Mystic in your pack, you might consider going into red and blue, because it is a Merfolk Wizard, 1-3, for red, blue, and 1. It has flying. It's a Merfolk with flying? It's weird, dude. It is, because it's a wizard Merfolk that flies on a Stingray. Woo! Anyway, it has flying, and whenever you cast an instant or sorcery, or a wizard spell, Umara Mystic gets plus two, plus zero oh until end of turn. So it's just like we were saying earlier. So it's just like better wee Dragonauts? Uh, yes. It is better wee Dragonauts. I am offended. I love wee Dragonauts. I'm upset. Like I said when we said that wizards was a theme in this set, I said it was primarily in red and blue. Well, also, if you're in red and blue, you primarily focus on having wizards. So if you have a whole bunch of them, and or a bunch of non-creature spells... Well, non-permanent spells. spells too. Yeah, non-permanent spells. You can get bonuses for your flying merfolk. Wizard. Awesome. He does look pretty sweet on that merf- on that stingray. It is a pretty cool artwork. So the, the, I think those are the 
uncommons that you might want to look out for when you're drafting or building your sealed deck. Kind of give you an idea of what you're going to do in each of the colors and some of the themes that you'll be looking at playing with. So yeah, I guess that just leaves us the judge call left for today, right? Yeah. We had some questions about the modal double face cards and they've answered them now and I thought this was a good section to cover that in. Oh yeah, definitely. Why don't you lay them out for us? So the first one was, if you're being allowed to play a card of a specific type, are you allowed to play them? If one side is the type, and do you get to pick which side, right? And the answer is yes, sort of. Um, If you're referencing the cards outside of the stack, they are whatever side is on the front, or if they're on the battlefield. Outside the stack in the battlefield, they're whatever the front side is. But if a card allows you to play or cast a spell, or play a land, play a land or cast a spell, you are allowed to use either side when determining whether or not you're allowed to do that thing. So if an effect says return a land card from your graveyard to your hand, it's only the front side of the card, so only if the front side is a land can you play it. But if a thing says you can play a land from your graveyard, you can play either side that is a land from your graveyard. Because when you're putting it into play, then you're putting it into play as a land. And that's what the effect is allowing you to do. So if, And so if a spell says you can cast an instant or sorcery from your top of your library, this doesn't exist. But if there was a modal double face card that's a land on the front and an instant on the back, you would be able to play the instant. Because when you're putting it onto the stack, you're putting the instant onto the stack. Yeah. But if it said put an instant or sorcery from the top three cards of your library into your hand... If it was a modal double face card with a land on the front and an instant on the back, you wouldn't be able to pick that card because it is just a land on the front. So this goes back to a thing that I thought is ridiculous forever, is that magic only checks to see whether you're allowed to do something after you have done it. So like, uh-huh. if you, something says you're not allowed to play land cards, the check for whether or not you're doing a thing you can do is actually after you have played a land. Okay. Or like, if it says you can't cast white creature spells... Mm-hmm. The game's mechanics don't check to see if a spell is a white creature spell that you're not allowed to cast till after you put it on the stack. And so this goes to the same thing. It's like if something says you can play a land or you can cast a spell, it doesn't check to see if that card is a land or a spell until you've done it. Okay. And so like in the other zone, it was not a land. But once you're putting it into play, it is a land. And so it's okay. Okay. Now I think I understand. So you're saying if the modal double face card is going to either the stack or the battlefield, then whatever side will be face up in that location is what matters. If it's not going to the stack or the battlefield, though, then only its front face matters. Correct. And I'm going to say something that I'm not 100% certain on, but I believe is accurate. This doesn't matter, really, because there are no modal double-faced cards with a creature on the back. But if it was an instant on the front and a creature on the back, if an effect said, return target creature from your graveyard to the battlefield, you would not be able to use it because you can't target it as a creature. Okay. But if an effect said, you may put a creature from your graveyard onto the battlefield, you would be able to put it into play because when you put it into play, the backside that was a creature is a creature. It's hard to simplify because it does come down to what you're saying about how like what matters is which thing is viable when it checks. Because when you target it, then you choose your target, then it checks. And if it's still in your graveyard when it checks, because you chose your target, only the front face matters. Because unless it's on the battlefield or the stack, 
only the front face matters. Correct. But if it just tells you to put a creature from the graveyard onto the battlefield, it's not targeting it, so it's not checking when you choose targets, it's checking when you've put the creature on the battlefield. Then it goes, is that a creature? And since it's on the battlefield, the face-up side is the side that matters. Correct. And so it's like, okay, good. And then, like, if yeah. it's putting a card into your hand, then when the card goes to your hand, it'll check and be like, the front face is the only thing that matters in that case. Yeah. Whew. Okay. So what this just comes down to is, like we said, I think last week, is unless it's on the stack or the battlefield, the characteristics are those of the front face. Yeah. Where it gets confusing is anytime something is changing zones, then which face matters it depends on which zone it's going to end up in. Correct. Not the zone it came okay. from. That is, I think, non-intuitive, but I think I get it. I, I, I think maybe that's the good explanation, is those two things. The battlefield and the stack are the only places where it can be either face, and when checking the legality of your thing, it matters which zone you're moving to, not which zone you're moving from. Mostly. I did realize there is one kind of exception to that. that. If you're returning them from the battlefield or the stack to your hand, mm-hmm. once again, the thing that really matters is the battlefield or stack version. It just, it's, it's going to or from the battlefield or the stack. What mode it is on the battlefield or the stack is what matters. Any other zone changes, it's wherever it's going to end up. That's what, what face it is where it ends up is what matters. Because, like, unsubstantiate says return target creature or spell to its owner's hand. And if you have one of these modal double-faced cards that is a instant on the back and a land on the front, yeah. you can't return their land to their hand because it's, a, it's, a, it's an instant on the front side. Or I guess that doesn't work for my example, but uh, one of them is a land or a creature, right? You can't unsummon it because it's a creature on the front side, and so, you know, because it still has to target it as a creature in play. And there are effects that says return a land to your hand, do this bonus effect. And these ones that are creatures on one side, lands on the front back, or like incense on front and lands on the back, like those ones you can return to your hand, even though when you put it in your hand, it's no longer a land. Yeah. Because the effect said return a land to your hand. And so it's like what it was when you returned it is what mattered there. Okay. So anywhere other than the stack or the battlefield, only the front face gets checked, right? However, if your effect has it moving between the, the stack or battlefield and anywhere else, then the face that it is on the stack or battlefield is the one that gets checked. Yes. Okay. Oh. Yeah, I think they made this really complicated for no reason. Okay. I, I think that we have figured out how the modes on the modal bubble face cards work. Did we have any other questions about this? We did, I think. Oh, um, transforming. Modal double face cards cannot transform. Okay. I kind of hoped they could, because I thought that would be cool. Um, it is not the case. They did not want somebody to somehow turn your land into a human creature, and then you transform it, and now it's an instant on the battlefield, is why they did not want that. Why? Because instants and sorceries are not allowed to be on the battlefield. But wouldn't then it just get moved to the graveyard or something? No, in the past, the way they've handled that is like with morph cards and stuff, is you just can't. Mm-hmm you are not allowed to turn it face up. And so I would be fine if it just being like instance and source. If it's an instant or sorcery on the back side and non-permanent on the back, you can't transform it. But otherwise you can is the way I would have thought it would be handled. But it's, they, I think this one, they went for simplicity. Modal double face cards cannot transform. Now, my question for you. 
what about if I exile it and return it to the battlefield? Like, as a land, and it's a land on both sides, can I switch it to the other side? Are you testing me, or do you not know? I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't say in here. Oh, no, it does say. It puts it on the front face, whatever the front face is. And if the front face is an instant or sorcery, it stays in exile. Awkward. Okay. So, you can blink your double face cards to transform them? Yep. And if your opponent has one of these lands that's an instant on the backside, and you can exile it and return it to the battlefield, it will stay exiled. Yeah. None of this is making me like the idea of double face cards any. I think some cool things can be done with them, and some really good cards are double face, and I like the like modal monocolor lands, but I just don't Oh, and if it makes you feel any better, they did explicitly state in this article that they released on the FAQ stuff that the single triangle is the front face and the double triangle is the back face. Yeah, I did see that. I still feel like an article about the rules of these things on the internet is not where that information needs to exist. That needs to exist on the cards. I also get that a lot of games, board games in particular, but just games in general these days, like to use symbols instead of words wherever they can to, you know, avoid language barrier issues. And also but, it makes it faster for people to, to comprehend the thing. If they know the information, then the symbols are faster to understand than reading the words out. But I also feel like the symbols they chose do not represent that well. Like, that's just bad at that. Because the, what the symbols they chose seem to represent one and two. I don't think the symbols they pick communicate the thing that they want to communicate. And so it doesn't help with it. Just, yeah. Uh, whatever. Yeah, these uh, are pretty bad. Anyhow, is that all of our uh, judge calls? I think so. Cool. We don't have feedback this week, so I think that is the place where we want to wrap it up. Hey, what's up, folks? This is Future Duncan sitting in the editing room. Donovan asked me to add an addendum to this judge call to just let you guys know that we may have got some of the details a bit off on this episode, uh, specifically relating to using these modal double face cards with cards like Uro that put cards from your hand into play. And there's a difference between playing a land for your turn and putting a land from your hand onto the battlefield. So if you notice something that we got wrong, go ahead and write to us. We may not have caught that specific detail, but keep in mind we will be talking about this some more in our next judge call to clarify what we left out here or didn't get exactly right. So I'll see you guys then. Have fun. Cool. Well, I had fun, Domin. Where can they find you? You can find me at Boardwalk Games in North Dallas selling Magic the Gathering cards. And pretty soon, these Magic the Gathering cards... Actually, by the time you listen to this, I guess you'll probably be able to get some form of these Magic the Gathering cards in the form of pre-release kits or something like that, at least this weekend. Woo! And then uh, you can find me on Twitter at Day underscore Donovan or on Twitch at twitch.tv slash dday underscore 99. Cool. And if you don't mind... You can email the show at planeswalkerspod at enginewithin.com, or you can look me up at enginewithin on Twitter. Uh, you can find us on Facebook now. We have a Facebook page. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What, what is the Facebook URL? So, like, facebook.com slash planeswalkersanonymous? I think so. Yeah. At planeswalkersanonymous on the Facebooks. You'll find us. All right, sweet. Donovan will see those, because I, I'm not on Facebook. I don't know if our listeners know this. I am not on Facebook at all. <laughs> um, but if you do want to reach me, you can get me at Engine Within on Twitter, 
or go over to enginewithin.com to find more of this podcast and all the other things that we do. There's also a link to our T Public stuff, which is tpublic.com slash user slash enginewithin. Or, best of all, visit us on Patreon at patreon.com slash enginewithin to become a patron and make sure that we can actually keep making episodes of this show. Yeah, and if you want to help us out and you don't want to spend money, go ahead and go like our Facebook page. I would appreciate if anybody who actually likes us already went ahead and went and liked the Facebook page. That would be super useful. And so we would really appreciate that. But I, I think that's it for me this week. I think it's time to hosta lasagna. Don't get any on. Later days, folks. And that is accurate. I just checked. There aren't any red clerics. Yeah. There is two co- well, one colorless cleric. There's an artifact creature beast that also happens to be a cleric that you were just mentioning. There's also <laughs> Skyclave Basilica is a cleric on the other side, and lands are colorless, so. Ah. Yes. That doesn't really help. Though. No, it does not. <laughs>